Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Certainly want to wish uh, good morning to each and every one of you that are here. We do have uh, some visitors. want to recognize you. Thank you for being here. Um, I hope that it's encouraging you to you also to know that the God that we serve knew you were going to be here this morning. Already knew that was going to take place. And you being here is special. So very thankful to you for that, for everyone who's here today, for those who are listening uh, online. So this morning, um, what I want to do is kind of begin a series of lessons that are going to talk about God's plan for man. Now this morning, basically what we're going to do is talk about God because it's his plan. So we're going to spend a lot of time with that. We're basically going to do an introduction and try to lay some foundational pieces uh, that we're going to use throughout the series. Why is that important? Why would we want to do that? Well, I believe that our faith is under attack today. Uh, It's nothing new. God's children and God himself has uh, been attacked by people throughout history. We as American Christians today, however, I believe are engaged in a war. A war for the souls of men and women. A war that has eternal consequences. Now there are people around us, some may be our friends, neighbors, family, who view our faith, the Christian faith, as their enemy. And they're making a planned, concerted effort to purge America of our faith and our beliefs. They're targeting us, our faith, and the holy word of God. Now, some of those who are warring against us are doing that because they're enemies of Christ. Again, nothing new. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Think about that. Nothing new. This war has been going on for a long time. Now, some people engaged in this effort actually are doing it through ignorance. They're just a product of false teaching that they've had, that they've heard growing up, and they've received this during their lifetime, and they go about basically reciting or regurgitating the false teachings that they've heard to others. Again, nothing new. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning of verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. There are those out here who just don't know better. They're taught things contrary to the truth. And unfortunately, they believe that And they go about, practice that, and try to teach that to others. And again, I don't care where you get that information. I don't care if your your generations before you taught you that. I don't care if you get that in an institution of education. I don't care if you read a book by somebody that's profound. If If it's not in agreement, not in alignment with the Word of God, it's wrong. And we'll spend some more time on that later on. Now they're also in John chapter 12. We're going to go, we're going to look at this particular story a couple of times today. 
But John, recording for us, says here that nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, the rulers of Israel. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. We have a real problem with that and those who profess Christianity today. There are social issues out there that people are compromising the word of God. They're compromising their faith to support that belief. And there are things that the word of God clearly teaches on, and yet they're yielding to society. That's destructive to our faith. It's destructive to the church. It hurts the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters. We need to recognize that. We need to make sure we're not a part of that. So on our Saturday morning study that we do, I did put out the concept there that I would like to teach this, and I'm not trying to tell you I have elders' permission to run a series, uh, but I am kind of laying that out that I would like to do that. Um, this series is intended to offer some insight into God himself, into his plan for our hope and salvation, and how he continues to work diligently to give us the opportunity to glorify him with our lives on planet Earth. Now, I'm not going to answer every question you may have about God. Can't do it. Can't. In fact, in the book of Job, the questions are asked. Can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? And I'm going to tell you straight up, no, I can't. I don't know. And neither does anybody else. And if they tell you they do, then they're either sadly mistaken or they're intentionally telling you a lie. What I'll also tell you is there are some things here that I may teach that are different than what you currently believe. If that's the case, please, I beg you, let's sit down, let's study and reason together and see if we can come to some kind of consensus. I'm not out to intentionally offend anyone. In fact, there's a couple of issues that I'm going to try to skirt because I know that there's some contention about that. But what I do intend to do is to offer each of us enough information to be strengthened in our faith, to add to our zeal to proclaim God's word to a lost and dying race of, of men and to increase our hope for our eternal future. Now, I've thought and prayed a lot about how to begin this series, what to include, what to leave out. Sister Teal, 75 slides plus, I did not bring with me today. Lord willing, that's future. So I have thought a lot about that. Uh, I would like to say that the things that I'm presenting, I've studied out and I believe to be the truth. But having said that, just because I've studied out and believe it to be the truth doesn't mean I'm right about everything. I'll confess that to you. But I do believe it to be the truth and I'll present it as such. So let's get some background about God's plan for man. So before Genesis chapter 1, Brother Mark talked about Genesis to Revelation. Before that, God had a plan. He had a plan of redemption that was already formulated for you and I. And this means that God planned this in eternity past before in the beginning God existed and planned our redemption. So when God was all that there was, He was building this plan and He had it there for you and I. We hear the term prehistoric quite a bit these days. My kids, now my grandkids, they love everything dinosaur. And typically when we hear that term prehistoric, we're talking about dinosaurs out there. 
I'm kind of, you know, also intrigued about that, and I began to think, what is really prehistoric? So, the age that we live in, for the Travis, Google, right? <laughs> Hit it, Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary gave me a definition. And it says, of, relating to, or existing in times, antedating, antedating written history. Well, that's cool. But if I understand Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning, God created. Well, there's nothing that preceded that except God. So what's prehistoric? What's pre-recorded? God. God is prehistoric. God precedes in the beginning. Mark chapter 12 and verse 26 begins to tell us a little bit, I think, Jesus answering here again. Uh, I'm going to give you a little background on this. This is recorded in Mark chapter 12, Matthew chapter 22. And there are three different groups or sects of people who came to question Jesus, trying to trip him up. Man, I'd have hated to been one of those groups. Here are the Sadducees that came up and they gave Jesus a supposedly unanswerable problem because they didn't believe in a resurrection. And so they started off with question about the Mosaical Law, their seven brothers. The oldest one married, died, leaving no offspring. And so the wife, right, married the next oldest son. He died having no offspring. So she married all seven of those in line according to the law. And the question was, in the resurrection, whose wife would she be? And here's Jesus' answer. Concerning the dead that they read, have, uh, sorry, that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What I want to get here is that Jesus said in the book of Moses, and I've read online a lot about today people saying Moses could not possibly have written any books. And I'm going to tell you that Moses wrote five books. And I'm making that statement because it's important. And you know who tells me that he agrees with me is Jesus. And because Jesus said that that's the book of Moses, I believe it. I don't need any other evidence. I don't need textual critique or criticism. What is that? One of you uh, doc students help me out there. What am I talking where we go in and we're critically looking at something to see if it's actually there. I love that joke. But let me just tell you, Jesus said it's the book of Moses. Amen. That's all that I need. We're going to talk more about some of these things later on, but I want to camp right there and establish that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Now, what I believe is prehistoric again is God and his plan to create this universe and everything in it for his glory. His plan to create the human race with a way for us to be redeemed from our sin and to be restored and renewed. That's what's prehistoric. Dinosaurs, not prehistoric. God is prehistoric. He's from everlasting to everlasting. So what is God's main plan? It's God's plan of salvation. His ultimate purpose is to create a people from every tribe and nation, glorifying Him through their lives, who will dwell with Him in His temple, basking in His glory forever. That's His plan. Now, God's plan for man being made before creation may be a little difficult for us to understand or to fathom because we really can't think in terms of eternity. 
we're limited to our five senses. We're limited to our life's experience, and we're limited to the brains that God gave us. God doesn't have those limitations. God planned our redemption through His Son, Jesus Christ, before the world was created. I want you to understand that Jesus dying on Calvary was not a second option. Brothers and sisters, it was not plan B. He did not create this world. Adam and Eve sinned, and he's like, oh my goodness, what do I need to do? He already knew that was part of the plan. It was the original plan from the start. God knew that we were going to be created, that we need to be recreated, and that's the song of the story of redemption. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 talks about creation. God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female he created them. That, brothers and sisters, is the creation. When we look at the recreation in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone, uh, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's part of the plan of redemption, the creation and the recreation. Now, some of you may be jumping ahead. You already got questions like, why would God create the world if he knew we were going to sin? Why did God do this if he knew that one day he would have to redeem us? Couldn't God foresee that we're going to what would go wrong and prevent that from happening so that creation would remain good or very good and we didn't need to be redeemed? Those are great questions. And I hope that during our study of God's plan for man, we're able to satisfactorily answer those for you. Obviously, we're not going to get all those today. But let's see if we can come to agreement on this. That God chose to create a world that he knew would fall into sin. And he knew we would need to be redeemed from the consequences of sin. And all of this, God did for his glory. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory. Why were you and I created? For the glory of God. Now we may fail, but that's our mission, to glorify Him. The purpose for us. Now again, we want to lay some foundation of truths that we continue, that I believe will continue to impact our study, our view of our faith, and how we view the world around us as we go through. So let's lay some foundation. Remember that God makes the rules, and His creation must operate within those rules. Oftentimes, we're going to call these things like the laws of nature. We'll talk more about this later on. But brothers and sisters, if you don't believe there's gravity, jump up in the air and do a face plan. You can look out there and say, oh, I'm not subject to the laws of God if you want to. But yes, you are. You're part of this creation. He told the earth that it was going to spin and it's going to do right. He built this universe. He told the stars that they're going to shine. He told the sun what it was going to do, the path it was going to take. All of those things are in, in obedience to God as our creator. There's only one piece of his creation that he gave free will, and that's man. That comes with consequences. We'll talk more about that later. We did talk about each person having free will or freedom to make choices. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, a very famous scripture. A lot of us probably have this hanging on our wall somewhere. But Joshua is talking to the children of Israel here. And he said, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose 
for yourselves. You and I have choices. See, we're given free will. But that comes with consequences. And he tells them, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's the choice that he made. We all have choices to make. God gave us that free will. We're not free from those consequences, however. Our brother Dustin, about, I believe, two weeks ago, talked about redemption, and we're going to spend some time on that later on. He did a great job talking about the power that God had redeeming people. Part of his plan. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 talks about the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we choose to sin, and every one of us have, we have chosen to have a death sentence on our heads. But God knew that was going to happen before the foundation of the world. As we continue to lay some foundational pieces here, I want to talk about the Word of God. It is written in the Bible. In other words, the Bible is the recorded Word of God. In fact, it contains the inerrant, that means there's no error, the complete revealed will of God. I read recently that less than 50% of people in America that were uh, surveyed believe that the Bible is the Word of God. What a shame. What an absolute tragedy that in this nation, less than half of our people believe that the Bible is the Word of God. But I'm here to proclaim to you this morning that it is the Word of God, that it is inerrant, that it's complete, everything that God revealed to us. And as such, God's Word is our authority. It is truth, and it is a source, the source of information for us. God's plan for man existed before creation, and God's plan for man was unknown to Satan. It was unknown to the angels, and brothers and sisters, it was unknown to man back then. Now, there are those who prophesied about things that were going to happen, and they did not understand them. You and I today are the most blessed generation in creation. We have the ability, as Brother Mark talked about at the table, to look back in history and see they were looking forward and it was cloudy for them and they didn't understand. But you and I are the beneficiaries of God's plan today. God is both eternal and everlasting. That's important because we're going to talk about how God operates and we're going to try to prove all of these things or give uh, proof for all these things this morning. And lastly, God's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omnibenevolent. He's basically omni-omni. So the Bible, the Word of God, absolutely. The, the inerrant, complete, revealed will of God. The Bible does not conflict with anything. And I'm going to tell you why that's important. A lot of people out here who are teaching things that are in conflict with the Bible want to question the Bible. The Bible does not conflict with science. It doesn't conflict with other religions. It doesn't conflict with philosophy. It doesn't conflict with anything. Because it's truth. If there's a conflict out there, these other things are in conflict with the Word of God. And if there's a conflict, the Bible wins every time. Every time. So if you're reading a book, if you're listening to a speaker, if you're in a classroom, if you have a life experience, whatever happens to you out there, if it conflicts with God's Word, it's wrong. It's an error. God's Word is always right. It is never wrong. 
Now, having said that, there are some things in there that are difficult for us to understand. Absolutely correct. I don't know anybody that knows everything in the Bible. That person is not on earth today. The only person that knew everything is sitting on the right-hand side of the throne of God. That's Jesus, our Messiah. None of us have that ability. Now again, if we continue in that story recorded here in Matthew chapter 22 about the Sadducees coming to Jesus and asking Him in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Ooh, the unanswerable question. Notice how Jesus starts off saying, you're mistaken. Not knowing the Scripture, neither the power of God. If you want an answer, first of all, we need to know Scripture and we need to know the power of God. Otherwise, we're going to be mistaken. And any time we question that book, we question God's Word, His authority, or His power, we're mistaken. Because He has all of those things. Now, again, things hard for us to understand. Peter recognized that. He wrote in chapter 3, beginning in verse 15, about Paul. Our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as in also all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. Absolutely. You want some meat? Jump into Romans. You want some meat? Jump into the book of Hebrews. I don't know that Paul wrote that, but I know there's some difficult stuff in there. Jump into Genesis, for crying out loud. There are hard things to understand in this book. Absolutely. But just because I don't understand it doesn't make it untrue. There's things about my wife I don't understand. I don't. 44 years coming August, we will have been together things I don't understand. But they're still a fact, Brother Mike. They're still true. Just because I don't understand does not make it untrue. The same thing with the Word of God. Things I don't understand, but I know that. I know God said it, therefore I know that it's true. Every time. Again, God had a plan before there was space, time, or matter. Satan didn't know about God's plan. Very interesting. First Peter chapter 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because our adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So Satan may be big, he may be bad, he may be able to growl. But he still didn't know the plan. God created Satan. He put limitations on his power and on his knowledge. Satan didn't come about of his own. God created him. But he didn't tell him the plan. The angels didn't know God's plan. 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 12 says, Of this salvation... The ones that you and I have, the salvation that we know about, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. They prophesied about it. God came to them through the Holy Spirit and told them there was a day coming when this would happen. They wanted to know, but they weren't given that privilege. They prophesied of the grace that would come to you, come to us. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who is in them was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ, and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed, not to themselves, but to us that they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit and sent from heaven. And how did he end that? Things which angels desire to look into. You know why? They didn't know the plan. Now God's got angels that circle him 
constantly saying, holy, holy, holy. But they didn't know the plan. Didn't know the plan. Man didn't know the plan. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in what? In a mystery, Paul says. The hidden uh, wisdom which God ordained before the ages, before in the beginning, God already ordained that this was going to happen for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. Get this. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Think about that. Now we celebrate his death. Gathering around this table. We show it, we demonstrate it to the world every first day of the week. And they thought when they put Jesus on the cross, when they made him a curse and hung him on the tree, that they had won. They thought that was victory. And all the time, God's up there elbowing Michael the archangel going, Mike, watch this. It's part of the plan. They think they're winning. They're losing. Because he's going to come out of that grave. He's going to conquer the last enemy, which is death. And through the shedding of that blood, what's he going to offer? Forgiveness of sin forever for all mankind from the beginning to the end. He's going to pay. He's going to pay that death sentence for all mankind for eternity. And they thought they won. Part of the plan. In Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, says, Because what may be known of God? Guess what? We can't know everything there is to know about God. It's unknowable. But what can be known of Him is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. That includes you and I. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they're without excuse. Lord willing, we're going to spend a lot of time on in the beginning later on. We're going to talk about how the Godhead was demonstrated in creation. Not just that there's a higher power. Not just that there's a God or a creator. But the Godhead manifest in creation. Again, God had a plan. And it preexisted time. In Acts chapter 2, beginning of verse 33, him being delivered, that him being Christ, by the determined purpose. Notice that God didn't just purpose that, but he determined that that was going to happen. They couldn't kill Jesus before his appointed time. Not possible. They could not kill him any other way. They had to put him on the cross. Why? Because that was the plan. That's how all those prophecies worked together to get us to that knowledge. Now, he would give us glimpses of things through that prophecy so that we would know that he knew the plan. But brothers and sisters, it had to work that way, and it already did. Because God cannot lie, and when he speaks, it's already happened. You and I are just waiting to see it fulfilled. Predetermined and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death Jesus. You know what? That pricked their hearts, and it brought them asking, how do we get rid of this sin? Part of the plan. 1 Peter 1 and 20 says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. He was a lamb slain before the beginning. Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 beginning in verse 4, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy without blame before him in love, being predestined us to, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the uh, good pleasure of his will. God already know, Brother Mike, that you were going to be here this morning, that you were going to be ordained to work as an evangelist, and he's going to bless the labors of your hands. He already knew that. You're predestined to do that. That doesn't mean that we didn't have choice. It just means that God looked out and said, I'm going to have a nation, a tongue, and a people that worship me, that live in my presence for eternity. That's what was predestined. And in Psalms 139.16, David speaking here says, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. God had a book that he wrote before he said in the beginning. Isn't that neat? God knew. He's everlasting and he's eternal. In Psalms chapter 90, beginning in verse 1, it's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is from everlasting to everlasting. And that's important, and we'll talk just a little bit more about that. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, beginning in verse 1, Moses again, and here's a prayer. This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. In verse 27, he says, The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, Destroy. God is both everlasting and eternal. Now, in our English language, there's a difference, and I want to talk about those, and then we'll close. Eternal. In our language, means without beginning or end, it's always existing. Lasting forever. No beginning and no end. Guess what? God has no beginning and he has no end. Everlasting a little bit different. It does have a starting point, but it means lasting forever. For an indefinite long period of time. But it had a starting point. When we look at the theological differences, so as we study through the scripture, how is this applied? And this is important. So when we get to eternal, God is not bound by the laws of nature that he put into this creation. So God created time in the beginning. Well, guess what? He's not limited by time. He's not bound by it. He operates outside of it. Why? Because he's eternal. He's not bound by space. He's not bound by matter. Those are creations of his. He stands outside of that. Can you and I really understand that? No. No, we can't. Because we're bound by all those. We have no experience outside of that. Everlasting now means living within those particular um, laws and requirements. So God can exist within that. He can operate within that. When he told the children of Israel, you're going to go wander in the wilderness for 40 years, God understood 40 years. He's got it. He knows what 40 years is. He created time. He certainly knows what that is. They wandered for 40 years, that generation. So God can operate within those boundaries and without uh, outside of those boundaries. Important for us to remember that. We're going to build a chart, Lord willing, as we go along. But I wanted to demonstrate that eternal has no beginning and no end. From everlasting to everlasting has a beginning and goes for eternity, if you will. So from everlasting to everlasting, from the beginning to the end. What we know, what we see, this world in which we live, will be destroyed. It did have a beginning, it's going to have an end. You and I had a beginning. 
But we have a choice about our end. We have a choice of eternal life or death. We have a choice of where we're going to spend our eternity, you and I. Part of God's redemptive plan, knowing that we were going to commit sin, was he sent his son Jesus here in the form of man to suffer all the things that you and I have suffered and yet to live a perfect life so that he could be that sacrifice for you and I. He could offer his life in our place. And that's what he did. When you and I stood before God, if you will, condemned, guilty of our sin, Jesus stepped in and said, yes, they deserve to die. But I offer myself in your place. Now, what have you done about that? Jesus said for you to actually access that, you need to believe. You need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You need to change your life and begin to live for him, to glorify that God, to proclaim him to others. You need to confess Jesus as a Son of God. You need to be buried or immersed with him in water, baptized for the remission of sins. If you're one of those, and I pray that you are, who has already subjected yourself to that, gained the benefits of that. But things in this life have caused you to doubt your faith, have caused you to doubt the power of our eternal God, to doubt your salvation. You've got an opportunity this morning, an opportunity to join in prayer with all of those that are present here to approach that same God up there and ask Him to increase our faith, to remove our doubt, to help us to glorify Him in a better way. If there's one here this morning of either class, we would ask that as we stand and sing our invitation song that you would come and have a seat on the front pew. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.